You're listening to a sermon delivered at First Family Church from the series, The King and the Kings, Anticipation in the Books of Samuel. For more information and sermons, visit our website at firstfamily.church. Good morning. Oh, that was half of you awake. Come on, this is the awake crowd. Good morning. That's better. That's better. Well, good to be back from sunny Florida. Pastor Todd and Julie and my wife and myself and some others had the privilege of going down there. We left. It was 93 degrees. Yeah, it's like 39 now, isn't it? But you know what? When it's 139 there in the summer, we'll be happy. We'll be okay. So it all works out. Well, we're excited to have you here today. Excited to be continuing the series on 1 Samuel chapter 23. And as Pastor Todd mentioned, we get the opportunity to share with you a little bit about our vision of Life Change Church right after this service. And some of you, even if you're just interested or just wanting to find ways to pray for us more intelligently to say, oh, wow, I need to pray for this or that as we begin to kind of share what uh, God is doing in our hearts, we'd love to have you come. Uh, Once again, uh, you get a free lunch. So uh, please join us after this service, just briefly. If not, catch me another time or, or email me or call the church and you'll be able to get a hold of me. And I would love to just kind of share the vision of what God's doing uh, through Life Change Church and what he's going to do. But once again, we are so privileged to have you as our family because we know we're not going in this alone. We know that we have a whole team, a whole church family literally behind us as we get ready to do this in the fall. So we look forward to um, answering some of those questions and having you as a part of that uh, later today. Today. So uh, I kind of want to start in reverse today a little bit. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 23. We're going to begin to look at chapters 23 and chapters 24. You know, last week Todd had some good things that he had to say. I kind of want to just remind us of what, uh, what he said last week as we look at this story again of David's continual saga as he continues to be chased by, by Saul. You know, last week he just reminded us that God ultimately, no matter what, is in control. Amen? That no matter what the circumstances are, that God is in control. I love that. He reminded us that God is at work powerfully and purposefully in you and in me. And, and in spite of what's in and around you, God has a plan and he's faithful. Amen? And he never breaks a promise. And God has a lot of promises he's going to show us again in these two chapters. And you know what? God has never, ever broke a promise. All of them he, he completes, and uh, we're excited about that. Well, with that in mind, you know, all of this points to a greater story. You know, this, these two chapters really aren't about David, are they? They're ultimately about God. They're about God's faithfulness, God's love, God's providence, God's plan, God's sovereignty. It's all about God's larger story. And sometimes as we read these, we think it's about David or we think about the characters that are in the story. But ultimately, what this is about is ultimately God and that he is in control. So that's what we're going to learn about today. We're going to talk about uh, what God has to teach us through the story of David as we look at that. You know, here's some verses I don't know about you, but I like to hear, um, and, and some of you may even have them on signs at your house, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? How many of you have heard of Jeremiah 29, 11? For I know the, the thoughts or the plans that I have you, says the Lord, right? Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you um, a future and a hope. How many like that verse? Isn't that a great verse? Or how about Psalm 34, 7, that delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the what? Desires of your heart. I mean, isn't that a good verse? Those are verses we we love. Or how about John 10, 10? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it what? More abundantly. I mean, these are incredible. Second Timothy 1, 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. 
I mean, these are verses that you just, you throw them up on a, on a wooden plaque, right? And you put them on your walls. But there's another set of verses I want to kind of talk about today. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, All who desire to live godly shall suffer persecution. How many of you got that on a plaque on a sign at home? <laughs> right? I mean, we, we don't make plaques out of that one. Or, or, or how about this one? Luke 22.31, where he... Uh, the Lord said, Simon said, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. That's a good one for the kitchen, right? I mean, wheat, kitchen, cooking, and never mind. Um, we don't have that as a sign, do we? We don't have that placed up there somewhere where we say, well, I want to I remember that one. Or how about 2 Corinthians 12, 10 that says, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That's not another one of those verses we put up on a board. Or how about lastly, Matthew 24, 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Amen, yeah, right? This is what I signed up for in Christianity 101. This is what I wanted, right? When I became a Christian is those verses, right? And we kind of tend to look at Christianity through rose-colored glasses, where we think that, man, you know what? I I don't know that I want to go through this stuff. Those first four verses were awesome. I want to live those out. I want all those promises, those blessings. But those last four, they don't sound as nice, do they? They don't ring as as nice in our ears. And we, we, we find ourselves fighting, saying, you know, God, why do we have to have those verses? Why couldn't we have just stuck with the good verses? Why? Well, there's a lot that God wants to teach us through this process. And as we look at the story of David, we're going to get to see uh, some of those things. You see, today, uh, as we hear about David, it's not what he, about what he thought was going to happen. I mean, I imagine on the heels of David and Goliath, you know, when he defeated Goliath, he's like, man, I am the hero. I'm a, I'm a war hero, right? And, and now life is going to be, I mean, I'm going to be celebrated. They're going to have parades in my name. And the rest of my life, I'm going to walk just as David the hero. But is that what happens? No, as you've been following us in this story, David begins to be a hunted man. He begins to be chased down by Saul, the guy that he helped defeat, this giant Goliath. And so he goes from hero to zero really quick. But it's not the story that, or the script that David would have thought when he was told by God, hey, you're going to be king someday. He's thinking, man, what, what about, that's going to be great, but why am I having all these troubles? I couldn't imagine in the year 2000, after I had uh, been at, in, in Iowa for almost seven years as a youth pastor at my first job ever out of college, that God would call me to a place called New Jersey, okay? Some of you don't even know where that is, right? <laughs> New Jersey, Utah, they're both mission fields far away. I could have never imagined. You know, we cried literally the entire way there. <laughs> it's like 21 hours. We cried 20 out of those 21 hours. But we knew that God was calling us somewhere that was scary, that was dangerous. We had no idea what it was going to, to happen. And we lived a year and a half, our first year and a half in a basement, had our first child there. We didn't have him in the basement, but that's where you get the point, right? I mean, but we would never trade watching God do miracle after miracle in lives out there. We never would trade it when we got to see the end result of God's faithfulness that God was in control and he was doing a greater work in us that we, we could have never imagined. The faith and the strength that he built within us during those years of watching him be faithful, that story is what matters. And that's the story that God's weaving in David's life. But here's the deal. That's the story God's wanting to weave in your life. 
He's wanting that same strong faith story, that same trust in his timing, that same trust in his faithfulness, that same picture that David, he's showing David, he wants in your life. He wants you to see that. You see, too many want to live a safe, happy, problem-free, stress-free Christianity, right? I mean, doesn't that sound nice? Not hunted or chased by kings and other mighty men. Not thrown into fire, right? Fiery furnace. Not thrown into a, a lion's den. Or thrown into the belly of a whale or a fish. That's not what we signed up for, is it, God? Is that really, God, what we signed up for? Or how about this? How about being put on a cross after a brutal bleeding? You see, when all the hell of life is chasing you, the cancer, the rebellion, the adultery, the addictions, the financial pressures, the hurt of relationships, here's what Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen? Isn't that good to know? We know the outcome that we we stand in victory with God because he's given us the end of the story. That's so exciting to know that Jesus will prevail. And I want you to understand something, church. The church exists for God's glory, not ours, right? It's for him, not us. It's not about your story or my story. Another way to say it is this. God is for you. It's just not about you. See, in the midst of our circumstances and our problems and our trials and everything we're going through, man, we're like, why, God? What is going on here? But see, the story is not about us. The story is about God and God's faithfulness and God's glory. And we've got to remember that. Galatians 6.14 says this, says, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Isn't that right? For the glory of God. Remember this, if Jesus doesn't go to the cross, we don't go to heaven. So the trials, the persecutions, the suffering that he went through had a greater purpose. He said in Hebrews 12, right, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross because he had a greater glory and a greater plan. Our story today is is that. And you know, a lot of us, it it seems that we do everything right and it still seems like trouble chases us. You ever been there? I mean, that's where we're gonna find David in this story. You know, he he didn't do anything wrong. I mean, he beats Goliath. He does what he's supposed to. He's defending and he's fighting. He says, you know, the cause of God and here trouble is finding him. And it's chasing him down. And it's going to be the same in our lives because there's a spiritual warfare that's going on. There's an enemy that wants to destroy you, David, all of us, right? But God is greater than that. So we see that David is not the point of the story. God is. Well, today's story kind of reminds me of some TV shows, maybe Tom and Jerry, right? Any of you uh, ever watched Tom and Jerry as kids? Surely somebody, right? Who watched Tom and Jerry? Okay, look at all the people. It's okay to admit that, right? I mean, maybe, maybe this story can kind of remind us of uh, Survivor, right? What is it? Outwit, outplay, and then outlast, right? And that's kind of David here as he's trying to outlast, outwit, outplay uh, Saul as Saul's continuing to chase him. But probably my greatest, uh, or maybe Family Feud, right? Because they're family. But probably my greatest one is maybe Lord of the Rings, right? I mean, where you get this idea of these armies battling right? And that, that one's on one side of the mountain, one's on another, and he's barely escaping, he's barely making it. This is kind of the story and where we're going to pick up David as, as we look here. So look, look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 23. We're going to begin to kind of read and walk through this story. I think it's got a lot of powerful things to remind us of. Um, 
that uh, these kind of valleys are going to test our responses, that they're going to test, you know, our faith in God. And so let's begin verse 1. It says this, Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Kayla and are going and robbing the threshing floor. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? I love right where David's heart is right in the beginning. David run, is on the run from Saul, right? He's being chased down, hunted, and he hears about one of his cities, one of the cities of his fellow Israelite, and he's saying, man, I, you know, there's a cause greater than self. There, there's a need greater than my need. And he was unselfish and willing to say, I'm going to come out of hiding and go, God, should I do this? Should I go out of hiding and help deliver these people? Is this what you're calling to do? And I love that. When we're being chased by the enemies, when we're, when we're up against the wall, you know the first thing we need to do? It's, okay, that's not a trick question. It's pray, right? I mean, prayer and, and your, your time with God, that prayer is kind of a window into to, to how much you expect God to do in your life, right? I mean, prayer is that opportunity to say, God, you know what? I don't know what to do, but you do. God, you're in control. I'm trusting in you. And so I love that David, in a crisis, is, is going right to the source he should go to. He goes to God. And listen to what the Lord said. The Lord said to David, yeah. He said, go. Go and attack the Philistines and save Caleb. But, but David's men said to him, behold, we are afraid. Now listen, that's a natural response. They've been hunted and chased for a long time, and they're tired and they're scared. And they're saying, hey, we're afraid here. If we leave our hiding place and go out in the open, Saul's going to find us. You know, there's going to be times where you inquire and you know exactly what God has told you to do, but there's going to be other people saying, man, that's too dangerous. I mean, that's, that's too dangerous. Let me just say, I never imagined that God was going to call me to be a church planner. It was not in my plan. When I left Jersey five years ago and came back to Iowa to be a pastor, I had no idea or no plan of starting a church. It was not in my horizon. But through circumstances and different situations, God's word, the advice of godly people, I saw and God opened up an opportunity and we, we fell in love with the vision that God has cast that, hey, we're to go to the east side, a, a place we don't know a lot about that we're excited to learn and grow and serve you know what? Sometimes you got to take those risks with God. You got to step out of the familiar into the unfamiliar and say, you know what? I'm going to trust and believe. God called me to this, so He's going to equip me, right? He doesn't equip the called, or He calls the, or He doesn't, yeah, reverse that. <laughs> he equips the called, right? So you, you may be saying, oh, I don't know if I could do that. You're in a great place for God to say, well, good, I'll do it through you. And that's what David finds himself in. And you're going to have lots of opportunities where other people are going to whisper, well, maybe you shouldn't do this. I, this is kind of scary. And you've got to trust God's calling and confirming. You've got to go to God's word. You've got to be in prayer. And you've got to get wise people who will come around you and confirm what God says. So he goes to me. He says, hey, listen. So David goes back to God. And I don't think this is wrong to go back to God and say, are you sure, God? Are you sure you want me to come out of hiding? Because that's a scary place to come out of hiding. I know what's out there. I know not only am I facing the enemy of my Philistines, but I'm also facing Saul. So I've got two armies battling against me. And what does the Lord say? The Lord says, go do it, man. You got it, David. I'm going to deliver him into your hand. And you know what's awesome about David is he believed God and obeyed in that belief. Isn't that important? That not only do we hear from God, not only we read his word, but that we do what? 
Well, there's three of you willing to do it. How, that we do what with his word? Obey, right? That we obey what he asks us to do, that we obey where he asks us to go, that we're willing to obey and be obedient to what God has called us to do. And so David and the men went to Kayla and they fought with the Philistines. And guess what? They won. Wow. They did what God asked them to do. And guess what? Victory was right on their, their heels when that happens. And I think that's awesome. They take their livestock, which I'm imagining, you know, they had they were raiding the threshing floor because they wanted that wheat for their livestock. Well, now they, they lost that. They lost their lives and they lost their livestock. So God gives this incredible victory for David. And I believe this, it is just another encouragement for David. That all along these journeys of tribulations and trials and the circumstances that you're saying, man, where are you, God? God continues to show up when you need it. He's not abandoned you. He's not forgotten about you. He's still there with you. You know what, how many of you have found out that sometimes it's the last minute God waits? He is a God who will wait till the last minute. Why? Because there's something else that probably you need to learn, that you need to grow stronger in, some area. And God's saying, hey man, just keep trusting me. Trust in my timing. Over the last year and a half, there's never been anything more than I've had to trust in God's timing for this church plant. When I came to Todd first, I said, oh Todd, yeah, I think, I, I think we could launch in January. Remember me saying that? <laughs> and Todd kind of laughed and was like, you know, he humbly let me believe that. And uh, now I'm like, man, I don't know if I'm going to be ready by next January. <laughs> like there's a lot more to going into a church plant than I, than I thought. But the bottom line is, you know, God's got a plan for us. And if we're patient in that process, God will show us and work it out. Let's keep reading. It says, when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David to Kela, he came down with an ephod in his hand. That was the linen vest that the priests wore at that time, and they had the urim and the thummim in there, and that kind of gave confirmation of how to, or God speaking and giving answers. Um, and it says, now it was told Saul that David had come to, to Kela. So Saul has spies everywhere. Saul's looking for David. He's hunting him down. He's got spies all over the place. And it says that uh, he'd come to Kayla, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand. Notice the presumption that, that Saul has, that God is giving David, even though David has nothing, done nothing wrong, that somehow God is giving David. He says he's, he's taken himself and entered a town that has gates and bars. Kayla was a, was a fortified city that had the walls and the bars, the gates. And so Saul's excited. He's thinking, I've got him, right? Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Kayla and to besiege David and his men. But I love the next verse, how it begins. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him. You see, there's a difference between having the CIA on your team, right? Like Saul had the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency, and David had the DIA, the Divine Intelligence Agency. You get it? I mean, God's always one step ahead. Whatever your circumstance, whatever the problem, whatever the enemy is going to attack, God is one step ahead and has a plan for you. God is in control. And he's working it out for his glory and your good. He is, if you'll just trust him in the process. So I love that. So David knew that he was about to go to him. He said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said to the Lord God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Kayla to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Kayla surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord of God, Israel, please tell your servant. The Lord said he is going to come down and guess what? Kayla is going to give you over to his hand. Now, he just got done saving the entire city of Kayla. 
Isn't that just like a Michigan fan? One minute you're happy you like him, the next minute you're, oh, I'm sorry, Ted and RJ, but you know, one minute you're a fan, the next you're not, right? I was going to say Iowa State, but I couldn't do that to my Iowa State people here, okay? Because you guys, to be an Iowa State fan, you have to be loyal. So, um, I'm sorry, I had to throw that in there. The bottom line is, you know, he just got done delivering them. But you got to understand their position. They saw Saul literally wipe out the priests. He's willing to do anything to get to David. So he's willing to kill every one of them. If, it, if that's what it takes to get to David. And so he, he, he says, yes, they're going to deliver him in his hand. So um, the Lord said, they will surrender you. Then David and his, and his men, who were about 600, he had gained a couple hundred from the previous chapter, had joined him, arose and departed from Kayla. And it says they went wherever they could go. I, I find that interesting. You know, sometimes it's, I, I don't know, God, where am I supposed to go? I mean, God, you, you said that, you know, wouldn't you think that God would say, yes, they're going to surrender you, so go hide over here. He didn't quite give him that next step yet. It was really just still God allowing David to see, are you going to trust me in my timing? Will you trust me? Will you trust that I know what I'm doing? So David just wanders off. He, he says, okay, well, we're just going to scatter. We're going to go. Because Saul is coming down on us hard. So Saul, when Saul was told that David escaped, Caleb gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, the hill country of the wilderness as if. And Saul sought him, listen to this, every day. How many of you feel that way? At times, every day, something's chasing you, an enemy. Sometimes the enemy's self. You look in the mirror, Choices, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's something else that every day you're going, man, this thing keeps chasing me. It wants to destroy your faith. It wants to destroy your trust in God. It wants to believe that God has abandoned you, that God doesn't have a plan for you, that God doesn't care about you. But it couldn't be farther from the truth. In fact, God's gonna work this out in a way that only God could do it. You wanna know why? So that God can get the glory and not David, amen? Because he deserves it, not David. And he deserves it in your life, not you. And so God is just, at times, allowing these things to happen in your life, saying, will you trust me? Will you trust in my timing? Will you trust in my love? Will you be patient? It says, but God did not give him into his hand. I love that half of the verse. He chased him every day, but every day God said, I'm not giving him over to you. I'm not going to let it happen. Saul doesn't give up. Could you imagine, by the way, if Saul would have put this much effort into his relationship with God? What if he had pursued God the way he's pursuing David? Wouldn't wouldn't his life have been different? Had he just had that type of a fervent desire to go after God with all of his heart, soul, mind, instead of chasing David and thinking that somehow that that revenge or that was going to get satisfy him? Because it never would. Listen, only God's going to satisfy Saul right? Just as it only does David and just as it only will us. It says, so David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish. Isn't it interesting that Saul's son can find him, right? Saul can't find him, but Saul's son suddenly is 
right on the scene and there. And many of you know that Jonathan was Saul's best friend, or David's best friend, and uh, they were best buds and warriors, fellow warriors together, and had that kindred spirit. And, uh, you know, Jonathan comes, because David's at a point in his life, I believe this, where he's wanting to give up. Or he's saying, you know what, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of hiding. I'm tired of all these things uh, chasing after me, these enemies chasing me down, trying to destroy me. I'm tired. You know what's beautiful about God is he knows when you're tired. He knows when you need someone. And I love that about it. So it says he went and he strengthened his hand in God. So this isn't just a friend who comes up and pulls up and says, hey man, have a beer with me. And we watch a ball game and say, hey, that was a good night. No, this is a guy who comes and says to him, hey, listen, I want you to remember what God promised you, David. God said you will be king someday. Don't forget that, David. God has declared it. It's going to happen. You're going to be, and I'm going to be right beside you. Remember who this is. This is the next in line for the kingship. He's supposed to be the king. But what does he do? He sacrifices his desires, maybe his plans, for God's greater plan. He surrenders that God has called David to do it instead of him. He's willing to humble himself and be under the submission of God and David. Man, that is power. I'm telling you, David is awesome. He's rocking it here. But I want you to know this. I believe David had to have Jonathan this time. I believe, I don't know what David would have done. Maybe something really bad, really dumb. But he needed him at this time. He had to have him at this time in his life. And God knew that. And God sent Jonathan to strengthen him. He said, do not fear the hand of my father, he shall not find you. You will be king over Israel. I will be next to you. So my father also knows this. And the two of them made the covenant. You know, I don't know. A few chapters later, we're going to find that David and Jonathan, this is the last recorded incident we have of those two being together. In a few chapters, Jonathan is going to be killed with his father in battle. And probably this was the last time that they saw each other. I got to imagine because if we flip over a few more chapters, we're going to see David not going to war and instead sleeping with Bathsheba. I got to imagine that if Jonathan had been there, his best friend, somebody who's speaking truth into his life, maybe would have said, David, what are you doing staying home? Oh, we got a war to go. You're a king. You go to war. Kings go to war. But Jonathan wasn't there. And David fell. And men... If you think you can do this on your own, you will fail. I'm going to ask you to do something that maybe you've never done. Maybe it's going to bother you. Maybe it'll be a little different for you, but I'm going to ask you to do it. What I want is every man in this room to come forward. Every single man. Unless you're a visitor and you just don't feel comfortable. Otherwise, I want every man to come up to this altar right now, real quick. All of our men, teenagers, whoever else is in here, I want you to come forward. You know, independent Christian living is failed Christian living. I know in a room this size, there's men. There's men who are hiding. There's men who have sin. There's men who are running. There's men who have no other men in their life. And you're looking and you're saying, man, I'm all alone in this battle and I'm getting defeated. I'm losing. And maybe some of you, you're choosing it. Like, you're like, I don't want anyone to know. Like, like you think maybe other men don't have temptations. You don't think other men have the same struggles. You know, we're all on this journey together, men. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look to your left and to your right. 
Look beside you. Look around you. Are you alone? Are you alone? You are not alone. You know, 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, watch, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Be brave, be strong. Let all that be done be done in love. Listen, you need men who will strengthen your hand in God. If you don't have that, you need to find it. You need to ask God today and let, you, let him show you you're not alone in this journey. You're not alone in this fight. We're in this together, and it is a war, and it is a battle for souls. It's a battle for people. It's a battle for your family. I mean, Satan wants to wreck you because he knows he can wreck your family, and he can wreck your workplace and your neighborhood. And I've seen it happen as a pastor over 20 years. But also, I, you know what? There can be great victory as families are restored, as lives are changed because of men. So I want us to pray together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray over these men right now, God, that you would have your hand to strengthen them. God, no greater hand than yours that can strengthen them. But that God, if they do not have a strong brother in Christ, that you'd bring them somebody. You'd help them find or seek out somebody, God, who can help them in this journey. God, to make the right decisions, the right calls, God, for their families, their lives. So God, would you just strengthen us? Would you work in these men's hearts and lives? I thank you for them. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. God bless you, man. You can have a seat. Appreciate you coming forward. You know, the bottom line is this. I used to say this to students, being a youth pastor for nearly 15 years. Students, listen closely. Show me your friends, it'll show you your future. You know, the Bible says evil, corrupts, or evil communication corrupts good manners in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. I'm amazed at how many teenagers think, well, if I hang out with all people who don't believe in God, I'll be fine. I won't make any poor choices. I won't do anything bad. And the next thing you know, they're making poor choices and they're doing bad stuff. Why? Show me your friends and show you your future. It will show you your future. The, on the flip side, you get around people who are godly and chasing after the heart of God and listening to God and surrender to God. Guess what the opportunity is for you to do better? Do those exact same things. So thank God that Jonathan was in David's life. It was necessary. It's necessary for you. You can't do this thing alone. So don't try to. I love the example of scripture there. Because right on the heel of Jonathan being reminded of, of the promise of David comes another attack that's very personal, very sharp. And um, verse 19, let's read. It says, Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds of Horish on the hill of Hakliah, which is south of Jeshimon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart, desire. Come down, and our uh, part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And you say, well, what's the big deal with that? Well, the Ziphites were where he's from. It's his people. And they're surrendering David into Saul's hands. They're ratting him out. They're telling Saul exactly where he is. And we read the verse in Psalm 54. We read just one of the verses. But let me read the whole little chapter. It's only seven verses. Let me read it for you. Psalm 54, listen to what David says. This is a psalm he wrote about the Ziphites, about these people who surrendered him, okay? Because sometimes the betrayal is even closer. It hurts even more, right? I mean, Job and his wife, when she said, hey, why don't you just curse God and die? right? I mean, look at what, where good is God? Look at all the problems you're having. Look at the troubles. Look at the trials. And sometimes that's the way it is. And so listen to this. It says, save me, O God, by your name and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen up against me and oppressors have sought after my life. They have not set God before them. Notice they didn't, that wasn't God's plan. 
Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your truth. I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of all trouble and my eyes have seen its desires upon my enemies. God's like, David's like, man, God is the deliverer. He understood that it wasn't gonna be through human strategy or, or through military might. He understood it was gonna be by the hand of God that he was gonna be delivered and by the hand of God alone. And ultimately, that's what it's gonna be for you. In your trouble, your situation, your affliction, your addiction, whatever it is, are you trusting completely that the hand of God can deliver you? I believe this. I don't believe once an addict, always an addict, by the way. I think that's a false premise. I believe that when God says he can f- defeat sin in your life and he can stop those addictions, he can do it, Amen. He can do it in your life. If you surrender to him, if you believe in that he's got that power, that he's got that ability in your life. So let's continue reading as he says this. Notice that Saul's gonna be once again all about himself. That's what he is and that's what continues to show through um, as we continue reading. It says, and Saul said, may you be blessed by the Lord for you've had compassion on me. Uh, Notice he says compassion on me. Really, that's not compassion. Compassion is I'm willing to tell you the truth. What they should have told Saul is, hey man, why don't you abandon this and just go back to being king? Quit chasing after him. But you know what? It's all about uh, Saul. He says, go and make sure, no one see the place where his foot is and see where it is for he's been very cunning. Notice he's noticed David keeps getting away. I mean, he's, he's, he's like, you know, this David guy seems to be really cunning. Not realizing maybe God is on his side. Maybe God's doing a mighty work. Maybe God is against you, Saul. Have you ever stopped in your arrogance and thought that you're the one in the wrong place at the wrong time here? I mean, sometimes I think we do have to look and say, hey, have I placed myself here? Am I, am I running from God instead of to God? And so we see that uh, he asked them to do that. They rose early and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now, David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in their uh, Arabah to the south of Jeshimon. And Saul said to his men who went to see, and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. Now listen to that. Once again, this is the scene. I mean, you can picture it if you've ever seen Lord of the Rings. One, one mountain, one side of the mountain, Saul's on the other. It's not hard to figure out who's gonna win this battle, is it? All he does is send both sides of my troops, 1,500 around each side, and what happens? David's defeated. I mean, David, David's dead. His men are wiped out. That's all you gotta do. I mean, this is game, set, match, right? It's over. Or is it? Wow. Watch the coincidence that happens. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul as Saul's men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. A messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, the place was called the Rock of Escape and David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. Coincidence, right? Coincidence or providence? Which is it? Providence. Look at what God is doing. You know what? God can even use our enemies, right? To find victory. I mean, that's what he did. He used the Philistines. He used the enemies of God's people to save David. Isn't that amazing? That God's that in control, that God can do whatever he wants in those situations for his glory. And once again, all we continue to see is wrong priorities. 
He should have been defending his land the whole time, and instead, he's not doing what he's called to do as king. He's chasing after the wrong stuff, and that's what happens in our lives. Too often, we chase after the wrong things over and over again, and let me just tell you, it's going to be a dead end. It's going to be a brick wall every time, and you're never going to find victory in that until you truly surrender to God and what he has. Chapter 24, we see that Saul continues. It says, Saul returned from, follow, from following the Philistines. He was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. En Gedi was a very mountainous next to the Dead Sea. Um, and so Saul took 3,000 chosen men. So in other words, he's outnumbered five to one. He says, and all of Israel went back to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, and there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. I don't know how much explanation I need to give you on that, but does everybody understand what that means? And by the way, um, David and his men are going to have quite a conversation in here. So this means that he's going number two, okay? Because he's sitting there for a while in this cave. I'm not trying to you know, paint anything that's beyond, but he's there for a little bit of while. You know, I don't know if he's constipated. I don't, you know, I, I, I know you think that's funny, but you know, const, there's, there's constipated men in the Bible, right? I mean, Cain, because he was not able, right? I mean, that's one. And uh, Moses, because he took two tablets and went in the wilderness, right? I mean, that's another one. And then it said, David sat on the throne for 40 years. So there's definite precedence here that there's some issues. You know, that comes out of being a youth pastor. I apologize for those of you. Who, those are great youth pastor stories you have to throw in to keep the students aware. My sons are like, man, I've heard that story so many times. The bottom line is he's in there a long time. And, uh, and so while he's in there, relieving himself, David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And you look at this and you say, once again, David is trapped. Because as soon as Saul hears the whispers or whatever, all he has to do is call for his men and it's over. He's backed into a corner, basically no way to get out. You're in a cave, right? It kind of sounds like Israel and the Red Sea, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound a little bit like that? Where's God? Well, guess what? He's going to do the impossible again. So listen to what David's advice is. So he gets some advice from his men. David's men said, here's the day which the Lord has said to you. Behold, I will give you your enemy into your hand. You should do it to him as it seems good to you. His men are like, can you believe this? This is the greatest day ever. Your enemy that's been pursuing you day in and day out, and us, by the way, We have no food, we're tired, we're hungry, right? We're worn out from all this. Look what has happened. God just delivered Saul, just kill him. Didn't God say that he was giving you the throne? So why not just take it? Listen to what David's response is because I think it's important for us to see because opportunity is not always permission. He, he realized that recognized a very important principle. Who had placed and allowed Saul to be king? Who? I was going to say, if you don't know the answer at church, always say God or Jesus, and you, 90% of the time, it's going to be right. Yeah, God had placed him there. In fact, doesn't Romans chapter 13 kind of tell us that? Doesn't Romans chapter 13 say that obey those who, have, uh, who are our leaders? Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God. And they exist and are appointed by God. Therefore, resist the authority, resist the ordinance of God. 
And listen, we don't like to hear that. I mean, I know that maybe some of you don't like who's in leadership now or you didn't like somebody that was there before or before that. I know that, I understand that. But under, ultimately, we have to understand that we are put under their authority and that God's in charge of them. Our job is to surrender under that authority, to pray for that authority, be that. And if you have an argument about that, you can write God, you can email him, uh, or you can email rj at rj at michigan.edu or something like that. Because it's in the text. I mean, God says that we're to line ourselves up under that. And so David does the right thing. He doesn't want to take what only God is going to give. He doesn't want to jump ahead of God and say, well, uh, you know, God, you're kind of delaying. I'm supposed to be the king. Why don't I just help you out? I'll just do. I'll jump ahead. No, you know what he says? You know what? It's not my job to take the throne. It's my job to wait for God to give me the throne. And you know, a lot of times we get in trouble when we get ahead of God. We rob the glory because we do it ourselves. Hey, I want to do this. I mean, isn't that what got Saul in trouble in the first place, right in the beginning when he was offering sacrifices, not waiting for the priest? I mean, he was getting himself in trouble again. And David, on the other hand, gives the right response. He waits. Now, what he does is he cuts off a corner of his robe, creates the first mini skirt ever, okay? And because uh, it's the skirt out there, and he cuts off one of the corners, which the corners had the tassels on them, kind of represented the law, and it kind of represented. And David is going to say, hey, you know what? I regret that. I shouldn't have done that. Because it was just a little bit of a rebellion. It was a little bit of a, you know what? Hey, I just want to let you know, I'm going to get it. It's going to be mine someday. And, he, and, he, and he, I love that David's sensitive to that, and he, and he repents of that. He says, man, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. His conscience, unlike Saul, his complete opposite, he's like, God, you know what? That, that, I shouldn't have done that. I need to completely trust. But God, once again, I think uses David and uses this situation in a special way. So it says, afterward, he cut up, struck him that he had cut off a corner of Saul's robes. He said to him, put my, I shouldn't put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. By the way, I believe all those guys, it wasn't just like a nice discussion. I believe they were heated and they were like, no, you need to kill him. We're tired of this. Just end it now. And a lot of times, you know what? The crowd is going to be shouting for you to do something you know you shouldn't do. God hasn't given you permission to do it. And sometimes it's easy when the crowd is behind you, yelling you, hey, go do this. It's not that bad teenagers. It's not that big a deal if I do this. It's not that big a deal if I go to this party. It's not that big a deal if I sleep with this. It's not that bad. Everybody else is shouting, it's okay. But that doesn't mean it's okay, right? It's because everybody else is saying, what is God telling you? What has God clearly commanded that you need to follow? So the Lord forbid that I should do this thing. The Lord's anointed put out my hand against him. He didn't permit him. And so Saul rose up and left the cave and went his way afterward. And by the way, this is David's best victory. You know what this victory is? This is David's victory over self. You know how angry and bitter he had to be? He'd done everything right and everything was going wrong. He had every right to be angry and bitter. And you know what? It could have been at God and it could have been at Saul. But you know what? His best victory was over self. It was over his selfishness. It was over his pride. It was over his anger. It was over his bitterness. He surrendered it all to God and said, you know what? Let God repay I'm going to trust God's vengeance, not mine. He's going on to say that here later in the text. So I love this. It says, afterward, David arose and went out of the cave and called. So after Saul's done with his business, he gets out there and he says, hey, hey, Saul, by the way, I could have killed you just now. God, God gave you. I could have taken you. But guess what? Why do you listen to the words of men? 
who say, I'm out to kill you. I could have done it, but I didn't. You know, let me just say, rumors hurt people, don't they? Don't they? Rumors are, are something that causes so much harm that you don't even always realize it. Proverbs says this, a perverse man sows strife and a whisper separates the best of friends in Proverbs 16, 28. You know, rumors can cause bitterness, hurt, pain, destroy friendships and relationships. And that's what Saul was listening to. He had people in his camp probably saying, hey, listen, you know why? Because they thought maybe they were gonna lose their job. Saul's gone, David gets a new king, all the people replaced, I don't know. They were out for themselves. So let's create some rumors to try to get Saul worked up and kill David so we can stay here. I don't know. Maybe that's the case. But the bottom line is he said, I would not put out my hand against the Lord for he's the Lord's anointed. He reminds them that he respects what God has, where God has placed. He respects where God has placed Saul, even though Saul is chasing and trying to kill him. He says, uh, in the next verse, he says, I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you, and may the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After a dead dog, a flea? David's like, I'm insignificant. Why do you keep hunting me? Because Saul knew the threat he was, and he knew that God was going to replace him. And he was trying to do everything he could to stop what God's plans were. And let me just tell you, that will never happen. God's going to accomplish his will, his plans, his purposes. No matter what. And Saul couldn't change that script no matter how hard he tried. And tried hard he did. And here comes the switch. And you can believe that he was sorrowful, that he was sad. I don't believe that he really was. Here comes the the tears where he says, oh, oh, is that the voice of my son? Now he's not the enemy, it's back to family. Oh, wait, he's my family member. Oh, is that the voice of my son? You are so much more righteous than I. Well, first of all, what you're saying then is that you view yourself as righteous, that what you've been doing is righteous. Who gave you that idea? Where was Saul's repentance and humility? Where was Saul saying, you know what, David? I'm sorry I've been chasing you. I'm sorry I killed all these priests for no good reason. I'm sorry, God, that I'm a sinner, that I need you to save me. You see, that, that's the beginning of repentance is that humility where you get before the Lord and you bow and say, God, you know what? I am a sinner. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. That's me. The wages of my sin is death. God, I know what I deserve. I'm just thankful for your mercy and your grace. That's where he should have been. But notice he still puts himself in the category of righteous. And you know what? Until we or you ever surrender to God and truly humbly submit, you know what? It's never true repentance. Romans says that only godly sorrow brings true repentance, not worldly sorry. See, Saul was just sorry that, well, I'm gonna get caught. there's There's my note to be done. Yeah, some of you are saying, what is that? Okay, it won't stop. All right, well, eventually I'll get it. Yeah, that's Jar Jar Banks, I know. Um, now, where do I go from there? What was I at? I should have had a more godly like, sound coming out of there, some heavenly ring. The bottom line is, until you get to that point where you recognize, hey, I'm a sinner. See, Saul continued to put feelings ahead of facts. I mean, Pastor Todd taught a great lesson on that. 
If you put the feelings ahead, and that was Saul's life, man. He always was trusting in feelings or putting his feelings ahead of the facts of God's word or what God had said or what God had told him to do. And you know what? It always messed it up. Until you go to the sure word of God and know and hear and obey what he has commanded you to, if you're led by your emotions, it's always gonna be a train wreck. It's always gonna be a train wreck. It was in his life and it will be in yours when you're not fully surrendered to that obedience to God's word and his will. He says, as soon as David is speaking these words, Saul said this, is this the voice? He cries. He says, you're better than me. You've repaid me evil for good, with good. So may the Lord reward you. And of course, at the end, what does he do? Ask for something for himself. Oh, can you just promise me that my family will be in position still and that you won't kill them all off like some kings do? And we, once again, it goes all back to Saul. It's all about self. You know, a person wrapped up in self is a small package, isn't it? And, and that's what Saul is here. He's a miserable person. Why? Because he just will not surrender to God. He will not to surrender to God's plan. So I want you to, to, to gain some things out of this today. I think some things are very important as we kind of close our time together to remember. You know, let me just say this, first of all, if you're not dead, God's not done. Amen? If, you, if you're not dead, God's not done. God has things, and, and your pain is his possibility, his potential for your life. You see, it's about seeing his presence in your life. It's about seeing his power in your life. It's about seeing his protection, and it's about seeing his purposes in your life. That's what David experienced in these two chapters. He got to see all that stuff. You see, David learned to trust God in his timing. He learned to trust God in love. He learned to trust God in his patience. He learned to trust God in his self-control by not taking Saul's life. Listen, those are pretty cool virtues, aren't they? You know, those are like fruits of the Spirit in Galatians, aren't they? You see, we can't avoid the, the, the process that God is preparing us for and David for leadership and us for things that God has. We can't just avoid it and say, boy, I wish only those good verses were, were me. No, sometimes we gotta say, wait a second. I've gotta go down this hard pathway because I know God's got something greater that's gonna be able to showcase his glory in even a greater way than I could have imagined or I could have dreamed up. You see, suffering is sandpaper and it's refining us. It's helping us. It's, it's, it's seeing that hatred can be countered with humility. That bitterness can be buried with blessings, that tempers can be transformed to tears, that ultimately that evil can be overcome by good. Amen? And that's God's story, not just for David, not just for people that are in this book. That's for you and for me. These promises, God's promises, weren't just for a generation or just for the Jewish people. They're for all of us. And we get to claim and live in them so that we can glorify God with them, that we can give him the, the credit that he deserves. David could have played the blame game. He could have done a lot of different things, but ultimately he surrendered to God. So what's your response gonna be to the, the pain, the trials, the enemies that are attacking and chasing you? Are you gonna go by your feelings or are you gonna trust God's word? Are you going to trust in his faithfulness? Have you, have you kind of given up on that? Are you tired of being chased? Are you, have you said to the Lord, hey, I've been doing everything right, God. Why is everything going wrong? Are you willing to wait and see that God has a, a perfect timing, that he's in control? 
that even though these circumstances don't seem to be the best right now, that God's gonna work it out for his good and his glory.